0: course of the summer, we've been spending time going through the book of Ephesians. I pray it's been challenging you as it's been challenging me. Actually, your encouragement has inspired me to keep digging deeper, and so I just, I appreciate how you inspire me to grow so we can grow together, and, and it's just been really exciting to see um, uh, the Word of God come alive in our lives. And last week, we, we looked at God's gift to the church, right? And we discovered that God's gift to the church is the church right i mean obviously it's it's christ for god so loved the world but what makes us the church is the holy spirit of god in us and we saw god's gift to the church is the church you and me, the ecclesia is the Greek word. The called out ones from the world, right? Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who once were dead in their trespasses and sins, and are made alive together in Christ Jesus. We who are new creations in Christ Jesus, we're not what we used to be, right? This is the church of Jesus Christ, not of this world. Blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, those who are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. That's who you're sitting next to this morning. Isn't that impressive? I mean, no autographs, please. But just don't fail to recognize that you're in the midst of royalty. Because you're His and the Spirit of God is in you. And that's the, the gift to the church is the church. When we left off last week, I mentioned that the the spiritual growth that takes place in our lives in our lives is there is the, certainly a the direct result of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives but the, he is the source of our spiritual maturity but the way in which we mature the means the Holy Spirit uses is one another right as the Holy Spirit of God is in us we who have been recipients of spiritual gifts we who have been recipients of all of the lessons we've learned and the part of our story and the ways we've been influenced the Holy Spirit uses our story to encourage one another, to build one another up. And so obviously it's the Holy Spirit that brings about the growth, but the means in which the Holy Spirit uses is one another, which is why we see, why we see so much emphasis on the importance of unity within the body of Christ. It's why we see so much emphasis on the importance of, of gathering together, right? Not, 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 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, right? Not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together, not, not prioritizing. And so we see the, the importance of body ministry, the value of one another. We saw that God placed into the body some, some coaches, right, to come run alongside the team. We call them, these are the the role gifts that Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. He says he gave the apostles, right, and the, the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherd and teachers, right? Why did he give these roles to the church? To equip the church to do the work of the ministry, right? Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. I mentioned last week that the people who have been given these roles they are not the gift. But the gift is the role that God has placed on the person to steward that gift. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ, right? The role on a person's life isn't to elevate the man. It isn't to elevate the woman. It isn't to, it's to elevate or allow the, that, that gifting that's in the person to elevate Jesus in our midst, right? The, it ought to result in the building up of the body of Christ. How long does that go on for? We see in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, Paul is recognizing that these same leaders that are given to the church are on the same journey of spiritual growth as everybody else, right? These leaders, they're special, but they're no more special than anybody else in the body of Christ. Right? These roles are in place as a tool, as a resource for the body of Christ to glean from so that we together, bringing these gifts, bringing our unique abilities and gifts and talents to the table, we are able to build one another up. That's why the church is so important. Not the organization, but the organism. This redeemed body of Christ. And I love how Paul, I mentioned last week, how Paul identifies himself as, as one of, right? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. In other words, leadership is not synonymous with a rival. We're encouraging each other. We're spurring one another on, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're a community, a family, or a body is the picture that we have. Then he begins to describe this maturity that takes place within the body of Christ. What it begins to look like in order to kind of really get a, a, a picture of that, just to kind of set the stage of where we're going, we need to remember again the the the, the context, the way in which the book of Ephesians is written. Paul will do will, will will go great lengths in the first three chapters to highlight our position in Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ, right? The fact that we have been saved before the foundation of the world, that He has chosen us, that we're His people, right? We have, we we bring nothing to the table except the sin that separates us from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, right, he makes us and unites us with him, makes changes our disposition from being dead in our trespasses and sins and makes us alive together in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. And he goes into great length in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 in helping us to understand this is who you are. You're the body of Christ, And you see, it's critically important that we allow the word of God to define us because if we don't allow the word of God to define us, then we're going to allow other people and other failures and other things to define us and not enable us and empower us to walk in what God's called us to walk in. And so he goes in a great effort in highlighting our position in Christ. And then when he's established that, as we move into chapter four and five and six, he says, okay, now that you know who you are, now that you realize that you are rare air, right? That you are not like the rest of the world. You are separated to him. Here's how you are to live. Here's your position in Christ. And here now are your practices. Here's how we respond here's how we live our lives as new creations in Christ Jesus we he moves us from the focus of who you are in Christ to now how your identity in Christ is to be lived out how your identity in Christ influences your practices in Christ that's a great question to ask ourselves does my life reflect my stated identity as a christian I mean, when I'm when I'm not in church and I'm not I'm out away from the people who kind of you know kind of know me and what am I really like? Does my life reflect the identity, my position in Christ? Is Christ is my lifestyle a reflection of the one who I say is my Lord? We see that our practices are lived out, and they are sharpened. In the midst of and with fellow redeemed people, the church. And you see, it is this community that creates the unique opportunity for, for changing the way we live our lives, for influencing the way we see things, right? By bringing the Word of God and in informing us on how our position needs to influence our lifestyle. I don't know about you, but many of how many of you have been influenced by other people on how to live and how to walk and how to, how to navigate this thing through life, right? It's wonderful to have someone come alongside us and speak truth to us and say, listen, this is what God has for you. This is the, the best of what God has for you. We need that. And so in our text this morning, Paul presents the contrast between living in a way that was consistent with our old nature in contrast to the living, the, living out our new nature. And so we, we pick up where we left off. He, in verse 13, he says, and how long will this go on for? Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Until mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is that? Christ is our standard. I am not your standard. You are not my standard. There's no person who is our standard. It is Christ who is our standard. He says we will continue to operate and function and commune with one another, striving for the unity of faith. Why? In verse 14, which is where we left off, so that that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried away, or carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and, and deceitful schemes. He said, We operate like this, we 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 engage with one another, we we recognize the, the union that we have with Christ and the union we have with one another so that we no longer have to be children. Now, there's something very precious about having a childlike heart. We need to encourage that, right? I mean, some people need to really take a chill pill and, like, relax and, 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 and just, you know, they, they just have a little bit of, of, of childlike faith and childlike fun. But that's not the kind of child that Paul is referring for us to strive for here, right? No longer we children. Children are, children are easily influenced, Children are are unsure and unaware of what's out there and the dangers that may lurk. Children need to be taught. That's why God gifted the church with these roles that are in place to teach, to equip. Because children are more vulnerable. Children tend to be more easily deceived. They tend to be tossed to and fro by the waves. Remember that? I believe this because this person said that, and then this person brings out something. Well, well, I really believe that, and they heard somebody else over there. Oh, I believe this, and we start following the most influential, charismatic personality that can kind of influence our mind. Instead of allowing the word of God to form our opinion, we are like Tossed to and fro by the waves because we aren't grounded in the truth. That's what children do. Children are carried away, carried about by every wind of doctrine. The imagery that is given here is of an immature believer that that doesn't realize who they are in Christ. And so when you don't realize who you are in Christ, you allow everybody else to define you. They become susceptible to human cunning. The craftiness and deceitful schemes. Much of the the cry and the and the content of Paul when writing to the churches was the importance of gathering together, focusing on the gospel, because there's deception out there, and we need to guard against that. And the only way we can guard against deception is to highlight and celebrate and gather around truth. This is a picture of an immature believer that is that is disconnected from the body. They don't know what to believe because they're influenced by way too many sources. And, and what's interesting here is, 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 is in this passage of scripture, Paul's not rebuking them. He, he's highlighting that's what you are. And I'm sure they kind of look back and go, yeah, I was confused, I was messed up, I was driven, I was, I was on the receiving end of a lot of deceit, I believed things that were way out there. How many people used to believe things that are way out there, right? Paul isn't rebuking them. He's highlighting the reason why God calls us to be together and why he's placed various roles into the body of Christ. It's how our awareness of our position in Christ influences our practices in Christ. That's what it is. And now he addresses what those practices look like. What, what ought my life look like when I recognize who I am in Christ. When I recognize my position in Christ, how should that influence my practices, my day to day, my twenty four seven? We look pick up with that in verse fifteen. He says, instead of being like the child who's driven, you, know, with, you know, blown away to and fro, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up. We're to grow up in every way into Him, who is the head. Into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love that. He's saying, here's the contrast. This is what you were. This is what your head was. This is what your thinking was. But that's not who you are. This is your position in Christ. This is what you've been called to. This, you're a son of God. And so therefore rather being a son speak the truth in love. As a result of that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. What's the ultimate goal? The goal is to grow up in every way into him. Him not Paul, him not some leader, into him who is Christ the author and a finisher of our faith, to respond and live like Jesus in the world around us because Jesus is our head. He is the head of the body. It's it's his church, right? It's his church. And note note the imagery. We we are the body, but, but he is the head. A body without a head is probably... Pretty useless. Doesn't live very long. Right? You see, the, the head is what dictates how the body will live, and how it is from the head that communicates to the body what it's supposed to do and where it's supposed to go and how it's supposed to respond. And you see, Christ is the head. We are the body. What's the point is? He is the Lord of the entire process. And the church is intended to grow into more intimate. Union with Christ, our head, and into more intimate union with one another, who we share in that union with Christ as his body. Now, watch what happens here. He says in verse 16 Look, we, we are to grow into him, look, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. How, how does the body grow? The body grows when each part is working properly. Who's the source? The source is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that is in us, which makes us the church. And when each part, that's you and that's me, that's using our gifts, that's why I said last week, it's really important that we recognize every one of us has been given a spiritual gift. Every one of us they've also been given natural abilities, natural talents. Every one of us brings something to the table, right? And what we see here is when each part is working properly, functioning the way God designs for us to function, it causes the body to grow grow into what? So that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it doesn't take God out of the equation at all, but it brings us into the equation as co-laborers in Jesus Christ. Do you realize how much you need me? I need you so much. We need, that's how we're designed now, some people just turn me off right at the end of that statement. By the way, that's the part that'll get probably posted all over Facebook. Right? We need each other. We're designed. That's how, I mean, and, and that's why, that's the beauty of why God gives us the imagery of a body. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear, I have no use for you. We need each other. And, and, and there is nobody who's expendable in the body. And I love that Paul, that Paul is painting a picture of, here of, of, a, of really a, of what is a, a very healthy church. That's what he's holding up to, to Ephesians. He says, here's, here's how it works, guys. You are the church because the Holy Spirit of God is in you. As we saw earlier on, that the, the, the Jesus has given gifts to the church, right? And when each part is working together, your body will grow and it will grow healthy, and he paints a picture of a, of a healthy church that is engaging one another, right? Each one doing what God has uniquely equipped them and wired them to do. And it's resulting in the building up of each other in love. It's God the Holy Spirit using you to build somebody else up. How cool is that? You see, we can influence each other's minds. Right? We say things, but, but when, when, when God is using us, we get to be a participant with God in building each other up in love. How does that happen? Well, it happens as the Holy Spirit is working through us, He's the source. But what's the means by which it happens? Well, as I said, it happens because and, and through one another, through the church. So, what does that look like? How do we take that great thought and apply that the Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock? How do, we, how do we apply that to our fellowship time and when we're connecting with one another? Paul opens up this section with a very powerful word, uh, phrase here. He says, we are to be speaking the truth in love. You see, when we speak the truth in love, then it results in all the things that we had just read about, the, the, the body working together, right? Speaking the truth in love. This is a phrase that many of us have heard before. Speaking the truth in love. So what does it mean? What does that? What does that look like? Let me, let me just say what it, what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is truth as I see it. Truth as I've learned over the years. The gut feeling I have. Right. The the, the hey I love you. So I got to. Drop a bomb on you, kind of thing. That's not what Paul's, that's not what Paul is communicating here. What is speaking the truth in love? It's speaking the truth into it's speaking truth into each other's lives based on not what we think, what we have learned, what we have been told, but it's speaking the truth based on what the Word of God has to say about a given matter. It's informing one another what is right based on what the scripture teaches. That means we, we don't address every subject that we see, right? We, but we, it's applying the truth of God's word into each other's lives. Speaking the word of truth, speaking the truth, of, uh, speaking the truth in love is what brings about the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. And that truth that we bring is founded and grounded in the word of God, but very important. Matter of fact, equally as important as the source being the word of God, we need to identify the motive behind it. The motive behind it is the well-being of the other person. It's not, to kind of, it's not about just catching them doing their, you know, in, in their failure. It's done for the benefit and the well-being of the other person. It's not calling them out. Or winning an argument. Too much energy is spent on winning arguments and that's not what we're called to do. It's about loving a brother or sister enough to speak truth to them. It's allowing the word of God to be presented to a brother and sister who you truly care about and truly want to see them develop into the fullness of what God has for them. It's motivated by a genuine and sincere love. For them. This is important, obviously, because this is how we grow, but it's also important because the Word of God requires us to do this for one another. And that's not popular in our post-truth world, have you discovered? Have you discovered that when you, the more, sometimes the more truth you bring out, the more alienated you feel? Our world thinks that truth is relative, that is evolving, that it changes over time and is not absolute. They think absolute truth sounds so old-fashioned and so archaic and so inapplicable to our time in which we live, yet truth, it never changes. Absolute truth is true for all people in every time period, in every culture, regardless of popular opinion or cultural tolerances. Truth is not determined by popular vote or popular opinion, but by God's word and God's word alone. And it does not change. God's truth is non-negotiable. And that's not used as a hammer to stop people to do, doing, from doing what they do. But the reality of it is, the more we highlight truth, the more we realize that there's a reason why God has presented truth to us. You see, truth brings life. Truth brings freedom. Truth truth brings blessing in our life, right? Truth brings hope to us. Truth brings peace to us. Truth brings the maturity that Paul is talking about that ought to exist amongst one another. We can't have maturity apart from truth. And so truth is being highlighted not to hold us back, but to set us free. Truth brings freedom and blessing. Now the reality is that as I say this, we all know that, I'm, not, I'm sure, if I, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but the, the majority of you would be like, yeah, I get that, I realize it's, it's really important that we speak truth into each other's lives. We realize you know, nobody wants to see anybody you know, moving in a direction that's inconsistent with the word of God. We all recognize the importance of speaking truth in love, so why don't we do it? So why don't we do it? A couple of reasons why I think we don't do it. Number one, I think we don't do it because we're afraid of losing a relationship. Fear of losing the relationship. This is an understandable concern and sadly, a very possible outcome. However, we need to decide what's really driving that thinking. I'd love to tell you, listen, if you just hold the truth up to people and, in a loving kind of a way, they're going to be like, oh, thank you. I didn't know. I appreciate your love for me. Can we have a kumbaya moment and, and roast some marshmallows over the fire? I love you. I'm with you. That is, I'd love to tell you that's always the case, but that is not always the case. And so we're aware of that. And so sometimes we recognize, oh, man. I know it's wrong and they know it's wrong, but I know if I bring this up to him, if I bring this up to her, it's gonna sever the relationship. Sometimes we don't speak the truth in love out of fear of losing the relationship. I wonder what's really driving that. Can I question whether we, we, whether we really do love that person or whether we love ourselves too much? Because you see, truth, when we truly love somebody, we care so deeply about them that we present truth even at the cost of a relationship being severed. Sometimes we want to preserve the relationship for our own benefit. It's tough to have the hard conversations. I know I have them. The scripture says in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6 faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see, you're the closest people in your life are not the people who tear you down, but the one who will humbly come to you with your best interest in mind and highlight an area where you can grow in. And you have an opportunity at that point. Are you gonna grow or are you gonna go? Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you're surrounded by people and nobody is highlighting anything into your life that that might bring you outside your comfort zone so that you might grow, I'd encourage you to reconsider the company you keep. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Look, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Don't think that that person, I mean, don't think that that person who always thinks that you're amazing, they're always flattering you, they'll never offend you. That's not your friend. Faithful are the wounds, a real friend loves a person enough to to bring truth to them even at the sake of a relationship. Now the hope is obviously that the, that the truth that you're bringing would would, would and, and with humility and love right would would be like a seed in their heart that the holy spirit will water and will bring forth fruit that even if they go as a result of you bringing that truth hopefully that over time that truth which is which is why it needs to be the word of god and not just your opinion hopefully that that truth will find place in their heart and they'd repent of that thing and come back and relationship would be restored i've seen that that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes we don't speak the truth in love because of fear of losing a relationship. Secondly, we, we sometimes we don't fear, uh, we don't speak the truth in love out of fear of rejection. Out of fear of rejection. We know it's wrong, but, but nobody wants to come across as judgmental. Nobody wants to come across as argument. Nobody, nobody wants to be canceled today. Nobody wants to raise those, those hard questions. And sadly, if a if a person isn't willing to listen, you may be, in fact, you will be accused of being judgmental. Somebody said once that the, when the wolf tells the story, the shepherd is always the enemy. And you see, the, the reality is if, if, if we are afraid of being rejected, it reveals not a problem in them, but a problem in us. Where is our loyalty anyway? And to whom? Does our loyalty belong? But see, here's a really important piece here, and, 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 I, and I cannot emphasize this enough. We need to be very intentional to be um, prayerfully considering the right timing of bringing things to people. You can do the right, You can say the right thing at the wrong time, and it's the wrong thing. Has anybody ever been guilty of that, right? You're driven by truth. You see this, and like, yeah, this, they, they need to hear this. And before you pray about it, before you assess what may be going on in their life, before you've developed a, a healthy enough relationship to bring it to the person, you just drop a bomb, and it just disintegrates all over the place, right? We need to be really careful to ensure that, 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 that the speaking the truth in love intersects with God's timing so that the fruit, that, it could bring, that it could bring forth fruit, There there are times where you need to pause so that you can consider what's driving you to bring that truth. Fear of rejection. Sometimes we don't speak the word and we don't speak the truth in love out of fear of rejection. We need to consider timing. We need to do it with humility. We need to do it with identifying with this person as best as we possibly can. Realizing that we're not coming from a posture of perfection. Let me tell you how I did it. Appealing to one another in love. Sometimes we don't speak the truth in love out of fear of um, losing a relationship. Sometimes out of fear of rejection. Sometimes we don't speak the truth in love because I'm not perfect either. We don't, want to, we don't want to present ourselves as a, as a finished product, right? That certainly can kind of keep us from speaking the truth in love. I mean, who am I to say something anyway? I mean, I got my own stuff that I'm working through. I mean, we, we all do that. We all have stuff that we're, that we're working through, which ought to help us to approach a person with humility and genuine care. You see, our concern for the well-being of the person needs to overshadow how we're afraid of coming across. I don't, want to come, I don't want to come across as judgmental, and so I won't say anything. This whole, like, don't be judgy that the church loves to talk about, do you know, we're, we're not to judge the world. Don't be judgmental of the world and their sin because they're doing what's consistent with their nature. But the scripture calls us to judge one another. Not not be judgmental of one another, big difference between the two, but to assess, to care for, to bring truth to light in one another's lives. That's what we're called to do. We don't do it speaking down to somebody, we speak to somebody with the same hope that if I'm on the other end of the table at some point, and I will be, that I'll receive it the same way they do. Miss Christians were children of light. That's what we are. We're to live in the light. And we're to shine the light of truth in a way that points people to Christ, that points one another to to wholeness and maturity as God designed for us to do. So that's why we don't do it sometimes. But who, who are we supposed to speak the truth and love to anyway? Who's the audience that we speak the truth and love to? Well, first and foremost, number one, the, the first person that we need to speak the truth and love to is yourself. Is yourself. Again, we need to remember this stems from our position in Christ, right? Again, remembering who we are in Christ, remembering what we came out of, remembering who we are, and now who we are needs to influence what we do. And before I put my, put my finger to anybody else, I need to look in the mirror and speak the truth and love right here. In Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is instructing us on on the right way to judge people, what does he say? Hey, before you do anything, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly the speck that's in your brother's eye, right? Right? And so before we go fixing anybody else, we need to first take a moment and consider what's going on on the inside because sometimes the things that we think need to be corrected in other people is nothing but a mirror that's reflecting something that's going on in our own lives. And so we want to, be make, sure, we want to make sure that we speak the truth in love, allow the word of God to influence ourselves. Number two, we, we, speak, the, we speak the truth in love in our homes. Again, it's who we are in Christ. We're we're not like the world. We're not like the world system. We don't operate like the world. We are children of God. And so we need to make sure that, we need to ensure that ungodly attitudes and ungodly actions aren't acceptable in our home. That they don't become the culture of our home. I mean, there there, there is the, the... we need to be really careful that we're not so concerned about offending or hurting our children that we don't point out things that are wrong and sinful. You are not here. We have them for a very short amount of time, right? We are not there to be their friends. We're there to be their parents, they're there to disciple them. Right? And so we, we need to make sure that, that ungodly attitudes and ungodly actions, we need to recognize them as unacceptable in their home so it doesn't become the culture in our homes. But they speak the truth in love, in humility. It's got to be done in humility because nobody knows like your family does. right? That's the hardest wall to penetrate sometimes. Speaking in humility, through prayer, and in God's timing. Third audience that we need to speak the truth and love to is our church family, to one another. I mean, this is more akin to the audience that that Paul was referring to in this passage of Scripture. But this is the place, see, this is a place where we gather around truth, right? That's why we come together. We're not a VFW. We're not a Knights of Columbus. We're not some social, you know, Italian group, Norwegian group, whatever group. Like all these social clubs, God bless them that they're there. That's not why we gather. We don't gather here because of our nationality. We gather around because of our identity in Christ, and we gather around the truth of God's word. And you see, that is what informs us. That is what unites us. That is what defines us. And so we have, to, we have this stated commitment to ensure that we're living in truth to one another. And so there are times where we need to speak the truth in love to one another. Now, what's really important to consider before you drop the truth bomb on somebody's life is you need to consider what the nature of the relationship is. You see, we, we need to recognize that just because you see something in somebody's life doesn't mean it's your God-given calling to bring that thing out, right? It goes back to what I said before. You could, see, you could say the right thing at the wrong time, and you might even be the wrong person to bring it. We need to make sure, what, our, what is our motive? Our motive is the well-being of the other person, to see them flourish in Christ, I'd go for, so far as to say if a person's sin doesn't break your heart, then don't say a word. It doesn't, if it doesn't affect you, not disgust you, but truly break your heart for what the result and the consequence of those actions might be, hold off and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your own life. Because that's really important. We need to consider what's driving my desire to point these things out. Right? Is it... Is it, is it just a desire to be heard, to point out or no, or is it truly a desire to see this person flourish? Sadly, in many churches, this oftentimes doesn't happen in the congregation because it's not modeled in the leadership. There's not a willingness to speak the truth in love because nobody wants to see anybody leave the church, because that's sad to say oftentimes what happens. You bring the truth, they don't want to hear it, and they move on. Now, unfortunately, churches tend to avoid speaking the truth in love, and it creates a culture that truth is not so important after all, as long as we can be together and fill the seats. A healthy church leadership is more concerned about being truthful than being popular. More concerned about filling seats in heaven than filling our seats here on the earth. It's our desired integrity to be a church. We're not perfect, dear God. You'll see very quickly. You stick around here long enough. We're—if you're imperfect, you're in the right church. But we desire to be a church that speaks the truth in love, gently, timely, sensitively, but unapologetically, because we recognize that we're going to give an account to God for how we uphold truth. We also, our last audience that we are to speak the truth and love to is to the world around us. Again, let's not forget, our position in Christ informs our practices. All all of our doing is informed by our being, right? So while we we are are to speak the truth and love to the world around us, while we can't expect the world to embrace our standard of truth, that's founded and grounded in the word of God, we still ought to communicate our standard of truth. We need not to be sensitive, we we need to be sensitive, we need to do it sensitively, we need to do it humbly. We need to do it with a sincere desire to, to see a person embrace truth for their own lives, not to rub their nose in their sin, but to highlight the hope of Christ that can be theirs if they'll turn from their sin. You see, the reality is that the world at large is walking in darkness. The world is living a lie. The world is pursuing everything they possibly can to try to find satisfaction deep within. And they realize it's not working. They realize something's broken on the inside. They're trying everything possible to try and satisfy something that only Christ can fill. And instead of attacking their pursuit of trying to find that thing, we need to bring the the truth of Jesus Christ to them so that they might see that only God can fill that deep void in their hearts. But a judgmental posture is never going to accomplish it. Only a sincere desire to see them come to faith in Christ. We should present truth. We don't shove it down the throat of the world. We live it out we live it out consistently in our own lives and we pray that God uses it as a, as a light to the world. Right? Jesus, said, well, I, Jesus said I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He's the truth. He's the standard. And as people of truth as people who are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus we practice the truth. We live it out in our lives 24-7. We live it out in our homes. We live it out in our churches. We live it out in the world. And that's why it's so important to know the truth. You can't, you can't bring the truth of God's word if you don't know the truth of God's word. That's why I say time and time again, you must be in the word of God for yourself. Allow the word of God to inform and transform you so that you can bring it in season in the lives of those around you and it can bring forth fruit. Speaking the truth in love, integrity, so that we might grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. And results in building itself up in love. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you never call us to do something that your grace doesn't give us the ability to accomplish. Thank you for how our position in Christ and the grace in our life enables us, empowers us, and informs us for how we are to live out our lives. God, I pray that you would take these words this morning and just uh, challenge our hearts, encourage us, remind us that in truth is life and freedom and hope and joy and all of the goodness of God. Lord, may we live it out in our own lives. And Lord, may we steward this truth as we seek to speak the truth in love to one another. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen.